Yo, mates, Cheeky Volley, episode 13, live from New York. We're back. We got Asher here. What's up, Asher? What's up, mate? We got Brett, straight from Boston. What's going on, guys? All right, mate. So it's been, it's been a lo- Asher, how long has it been since our last episode? I think we did, uh, we did like an Australian Open recap. Yeah. All right. So about <laughs> six months, maybe? Six. We're on course for a solid four, four per year. We, we got, we got into, quite a heated row with the Nick Kyrgios that like uh, demoralized us for a while it, it got true. pretty heated we're back Kabir do you want to let us know what Seinfeld episode uh, is playing right now alright right now we've got season 9 episode 2 classic episode called The Voice Asher do you want to talk about this episode for a moment yeah this is uh, this is one of my favorite episodes so basically um, Kramer he uh, has a few business ideas so he he hires an intern from NYU to work for him for free. <laughs> the intern is <laughs> Darren, uh, right? Darren. Darren, yeah, for for his company called Kramerica Industries, and he basically gets him doing like all sorts of like useless stuff, like I think making him food, buying him uh, buying him <laughs> stuff. They had they had an idea. What, what was their business idea? To have like a rubber ball inside of like like an oil tanker <laughs> inside of an oil tanker <laughs> to, pre- so, to, pre- to, pre- to, pre- to prevent oil spills. Yep, solving then, solving an issue. Then the other part of the episode was um, was Jerry has a has a new girlfriend and her stomach makes a funny noise uh, at night, which was uh, like hello. <laughs> <laughs> so him and George uh, like they they love it. They have a lot of like voice banter, and the girlfriend starts getting upset at this. So then uh, Jerry has to make a choice uh, at the end whether he wants to see the girlfriend or whether he keeps um, uh, making fun of her with the noise and. And I will spoil it because it's so funny. So at the end of the episode, there's like a big montage scene. And then Jerry sort of yeah. reminisces about all the times with his girlfriend. And then at the end, he goes to her apartment, knocks on her door and just looks at her and goes, hello. hello. <laughs> we'll do this at the U.S. Open. Classic episode. Yes. All right. Now to the pressing topic. All right, Asher, do you want to set the stage? Tell us what's going on, why we are speaking on the eve of probably one of the most exciting matches in the last three years. Yeah, Federer, Federer, Nadal, thirty-nine. Um, the the two greatest players of all time. Um, semi-finals of a major. They haven't played each other in two years. Just the greatest rivalry ever. One of the greatest rivalries in sports. Um, so to give a bit of a background, um, earlier earlier on in their careers, um, Federer was basically winning everything, and then all of a sudden Nadal came out of nowhere. Um, just started like taking him down, especially on clay. Um, so he he was always a dominant on clay, and Federer could never win the French Open because he kept meeting Nadal. So Nadal like took him down in 05, 06, 07, and 08 at the French Open. Three of those were finals. Um, would you say, Asher, would you say Nadal is like a disruptor? <laughs> <laughs> like like similar to like what Steph Curry did to the game of basketball. Nadal's kind of done that to tennis in a sense. Uh, yeah, you could say, especially, especially, especially clay court tennis. There's, there's, there's not been anyone like him, I don't think. And they're both fairly similar. Steph shooting from real far out. Nadal standing like outside of the fence almost to return serves. Yeah, and then um, we will get into a bit later, sort of why he loves the the French Open in particular. But he just knew the history, so he beat him. He beat Federer in oh five, oh six, oh seven, oh eight. 
Federer then eventually won the French Open in 09, but that was only because Nadal lost to Robin Sordling in the in the fourth <laughs> round. Wait, quick, quick um, moment. Uh, pause for a moment. You know who follows Cheeky Volley on Instagram? Soderling? Robin Soderling String Company. That's sick. Does he still play or no? No, he doesn't play, but um, they follow. Yeah, he, he has a string company that I, I think is seems to be pretty legit. Anyway, they follow us, so. I gotta buy hot. some of their string. Right, yeah. They uh, need to get them a sponsor. Working on it. So, the, um, so Federer and Nadal, last time they played in the French Open final was 2011. Now, that, that was kind of like a weird outlier type of game because uh, they, they used these new Babala balls that year, so the ball was flying around everywhere. Nadal took that one in four close sets. But basically, if you look at their clay court history, um, Federer re- never really come close to beating him. It's always been three sets or four sets. 13-2 um, right now is the record. 13-2 on clay. Nadal. French yeah. Open. 5-0 Nadal on clay. Yeah, and uh, the only two clay wins he had were both when Nadal had played like super, super tough uh, semis uh, against Novak uh, in the sem- in the semis, one at Hamburg and one at Madrid, both both which are different services to, to the one on Philippe Chatrier. Um, and, and I think there's something to be said too about in, in 2011 when they played, you know, when Federer won that first set, in that year he was the one that notched Djokovic's winning streak. So he yeah, was in yeah, top he beat form, him in the but he still, yeah. you know, he still still couldn't pull it off. Um, yeah, yeah, and um, basically through the early part of the rivalry, what, what was noticeable is that Federer never acknowledged that Nadal was a better clay court player than him. Mm-hmm. He like after after every match, he was always like, "No, I got this. I just need to play better." The matches on my racket. He kind of was getting frustrated as well. And you could see um, it uh, when they were walking out for the 2011. Uh, match, Nadal's kind of running around like like a madman, and Federer is showing up looking like he's almost like a little hungover, just like like <laughs> just like kind of like disgusted with the fact that Nadal's like acting like a like a like a fighter, like a wild man, and you could tell at that point he didn't fully respect him. Um, he he thought he was a very good player for sure, but he was like, who's this young gun? Yeah, mm. for sure. I I think he. Uh, not just that, but he also kind of felt that Nadal was just kind of impeding his uh, his sort of path to greatness, right? He's like, why is this guy getting in my way? Um, so, like, I think in the early stages of their, their careers, I think Nadal made a comment once that Federer needs to handle losing better. Right? Mm. I think Federer, Federer has changed, like, since then. And they seem to be pretty good, pretty good buds on tour these days. Yeah. Because if you look at how Federer kind of dismounted Sampras, it was with the same racket, the Wilson 85 Pro Staff, on the grass, both mm-hmm. serving huge, both using all natural gut. Um, it, it was like a prestigious way of, of conquering. Brett, maybe an estimate on the tension they were using? <laughs> so I, I think Sampras was going real tight. Like okay. I think maybe like 67 pounds. 67? Um, okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, because he, he's just going for all feel. I mean, he's going to bang on the serve. He's not worried about his elbow longevity. Um, and Fed, I think, is still pretty low, but not as low as he's going with the Luxalon polyester. Love uh, so I would give you like... 56 all right still i mean maybe kind of high for a racket that's 350 grams agreed definitely and mostly kevlar all right so 
So going going back to Brett's point on um, on how like Federer was basically um, an extension of Sampras, and Nadal was the complete opposite. Nadal was basically built in like a um, in a factory to to beat Federer. <laughs> so I'll just I'll just briefly go in for like the people who who sort of maybe don't understand like the technical elements of it. So Federer uses this like old school one handed backhand with a with an old school grip as well. So it's, it's it's out of the 80s or 90s, right? And Nadal uses this this new school like sort of whip forehand, which has the most topspin like in the history of tennis. And when he hits that cross court to Federer's backhand, it just gets up too high for him. So Federer is having to play these backhands at like shoulder and head height. And this is like accentuated on the clay. Um, so the clay, what what the clay does, it make it it's um, it takes more spin. So the ball bounces more, and it sort of speed off the surface so it's both heavy and um and bouncy and the french open court on chatrier that especially so that that's just ideal for nadal because it's not that fast that federer can sort of maybe get over the backhand and take it on the rise but it's not that slow that the ball can then come down so it's basically the perfect court for nadal it's also super super deep so Nadal had, Nadal can stand like super far back and then <laughs> and then just track balls down and it's super wide as well so he can cut all the angle, uh, so he can like reach all the angles. So it's just like super hard for Federer to beat Nadal, not just on any surface, but particularly on Chatrier. And and also with the keep in mind the the slower surface too, less free points. If you look at the ace count, big yeah. play, big you know tall players and someone uh, like Federer usually hits what over 10, 12 aces a match. Yeah, did, um, five aces maybe four aces. Did Soderling beat Nadal on Chatrier? Uh, yeah. Yep, yeah, in 2009. I think I would say that that was the biggest upset in tennis history. Yeah. yeah. Oh, easily, easily. And he was just swinging out of his shoes, like just absolutely murdering the ball. All right. So now let's get back to this match. So we sort of we've had it, we've had the build up on sort of the um, the history of the rivalry, why Federer struggles. But sort of in 2017, Federer kind of changed the dynamic around. He sort of changed his tactics up a bit against Rafa, got more aggressive, started taking returns for early he got got a bigger racket which helped him a lot on that backhand but also we should we should say the the 2017 i think was the culmination of three years maybe of testing new rackets and finally yeah, yeah. not only did he find the right one but it just started to i mean it's a big difference right going from at least 90 square inches to now 97 that's a big difference yeah. i mean holding yeah. the prestige and which is 98 and then holding a pure drive which is 100 feels huge difference to me so yeah and talking, he, uh, and I think Lubitsch helped him with his like backhand technique as well, because his his old technique he was like quite wristy, yeah. so he used to like flick at it a lot, which is like even tougher when the ball is bouncing higher. And then yeah. Lubitsch got him to use a more like modern backhand technique when he sort of drives with his arm like up through the ball. Mm-hmm. So can you talk a little bit more about how effective that shot was in 2017? That backhand up the line where he's really, I mean, essentially standing on the baseline, hitting half volley backhand winners. Yeah, the the caveat here obviously is that the uh, the courts they played on in 2017 were super quick, right? So even though Federer went like 4-0 or 5-0 against him that year, 5-0, uh, um, it was it wasn't it wasn't really like anything like the surface they're going to be playing on tomorrow. So yeah, so I think the the biggest thing was on the returns. Um, Nadal always had this edge because on the big points on the on the ad court he could like use that lefty serve out wide, and Federer wouldn't really get a good shot on it. But what Federer did, he just like came in, started like taking big cuts at it, like super aggressive, 
and just um, getting getting like the initiative straight away on the return points, which is something he's historically struggled with. Because if you look back at two of his losses, like in the French Open in 2007, he was like one of 17 on break points. In Wimbledon final, the famous one, 2008, 2008 he was one of 13 on break points. Yeah, he, he's always had miserable break point conversion percentages against and, Nadal. And this seems to have become a problem in the last couple of years against other players, too. I mean, against Tsitsipas, that match, I mean, what, what did he yeah. win? Throw or? 0, for, 0 for 13, something like o, that. 0 for 13 against Warinka. He's 2 for 18. In this tournament, he ranks as number 77 out of 128 in terms of performance and effectiveness on break points. So something oh. is going on there. We'll get into that in a few minutes about how important that might be tomorrow, but Asher, continue. Um, yeah, so, so the match will be interesting to see how Federer's new technique, maybe nuclear mindset, um, more aggressive approach. This is, this is like what we always wanted to see against Nadal like in the, in the mid-2000s. Mm-hmm. But at that time, he was quite stubborn. He used to just like want to play his way. Now he's um, he's sort of more like, like he's calmer. He's he's uh, he's more relaxed. He's he knows that he he's not the favorite. Uh, he knows that he has to play like a certain way. And even if he even if he plays his best, he still might not win. But I think he knows all of this. So with that with that in mind, like with what happened in 2017, but then at the same time, sort of the the natural. Uh, mismatch that he has against Rafa what do what, what do you guys think is going to happen tomorrow like which what's going to come out more is it going to come out the Rafa edge or this this new Federer Brett um so I think first we say what what does tomorrow's outcome mean so if 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 Federer wins what does that mean if Nadal wins what does that mean in regards to who's the GOAT this is, this is, I think that's the underlying question that makes this match so exciting. Is that I, I read, there was a New York Times article that summed up this match or, you know, just previewing the match, which was, I think an okay article I actually dug into the stats pretty well. But one of the themes of the article was that um, this will be a great match, but let's be honest, neither of them has much to prove. I don't really buy that. I, I think both their careers are like almost perfect but it's not about their career it's about their head-to-head their like the the, the, the matchup you know um I mean, I think, obviously I think, they have nothing to prove to the tennis world but who do they have they're trying to prove something to one another yeah i mean it's it's either nadal winning again six you know six zero against fed still proving you know even after losing five times in a row, Fed's new racket, Fed's net strategy, he comes on, on top winning decisively, or Fed comes back. He's still this, you know, renaissance man, 37, semifinals, beats Nadal, first time on clay at French Open. I don't know. We, we definitely need, after this match, we need to have an episode dedicated to how this changes the GOAT discussion, if at all. I mean, will it, yeah. will it change it much? Not really. I mean, it'll, it'll add different shades to it. Yeah, and then I think, I think as far as like outcome or what I'm feeling, I mean he's he's won the past five matches. They were all on hard court. Yeah. Um, in the sixth match was actually a retirement. Um, yep. Cincinnati. So, I mean, you beat someone five times. Tennis is a mental game. Um, he might have a little bit of uh, like PTSD from 
being at the French and seeing the doll, seeing that lefty forehand, mm-hmm. um, seeing those battle up balls. So I don't know. I mean, I think if any time anyone's going to stop the doll, it's going to be tomorrow with Fed. I, I, I think uh, okay, I'm still okay. I completely agree. I'm still hesitant to call a scoreline, but I think, from what I'm reading, from what I'm hearing, I think just discounting to what, similar, alluding to what Brett just said, I think just discounting the fact that Fed has won the last five matches is just simply as, oh, it was a hard court, and dismissing the fact that it was with a new racket, it was a different strategy, doesn't really bode too well for this match. I don't know. I, I, think, I think you have to take that in consideration, even despite yeah, even head of 13-2 on clay. I mean, when, when Nadal started beating Federer often and almost turned into like a dominant rivalry um a lot of the time i mean it was on hardcore too yeah it it, it yeah. was not just on clay i mean the I, I would if i had to predict i would i would say fed wins the first set nadal wins maybe in four it's definitely not gonna be straight i, so, I don't see so the one straight. The the one thing the one thing that's uh that's in fed's favor is uh the, the weather forecast for tomorrow yeah. So so Nadal Nadal likes and uh, likes it hot um, because the the courts play sort of a bit quicker and bouncier, mm-hmm. so the ball comes through comes through the clay much much better for him. But the conditions tomorrow are overcast, and I think there's going to be some rain. So that that favors Federer because the ball bounces much lower because there's a there's a lot of water vapor water uh, water vapor in the atmosphere. So the the balls get super heavy and they don't spin as much. So they stay low and Fed can sort of hit it through the court sort of better than Nadal. So that's something that I, I don't think they've played many of their French Open matches in those conditions, but that's definitely going to favor Federer. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, like so, if, it, if it was hot, if it was hot, I, I, I don't think he would have won like uh, at all. <laughs> also, I think because, I mean, Kabir and I were looking at the forecast uh, a little, little while ago and it was saying like there's pretty high chance of rain around like 10... So 11, 11 a.m., we're looking at 90%, noon, 70%, 1 p.m., 30%. That's so if you think about like, yeah. if Nadal tries to make long points, tries to wear down Federer with this weather lineup, that doesn't look like it'll be possible because it seems like there will be breaks in play. So this is not going to be kind of uh, going into like a deep four set, deep fifth set, and Fed's too tired you know yeah. yeah fed did say in the interview that i mean they, they, they were basically pressing him saying putting him against the wall i mean uh, you know how is this match gonna be different is it gonna be different do you think you have a chance what did he say you know what he said he said you never know it might rain <laughs> oh, he literally said that <laughs> so, i mean they, look this could be they, the match starts at two they play for an hour um 3 p.m you have 40 percent chance rain they now take a break 5 p.m they've played maybe two sets Worst case, I mean, the, this forecast looks pretty bad. Yeah. Um, windy around 7 p.m. They can play if they're lucky till 9 p.m. tomorrow. If it's super overcast, I would say 8, 8.30 yeah. maybe. And and just for the for the viewers, no no lights and there's no roof. So it's their, their playing time is limited. And who do you guys think is favored in a kind of stop-start type of match that might play two hours take 45 minute break clear the court off yeah, i don't I think, honestly I think... yeah go ahead i'm not sure if there is a favorite um 
they've both played so many of these matches. I, I, I don't know if there is one. Um, I like I like Rafa in that situation. I yeah, think Fed yeah. uh, he needs he needs like a rhythm. He's um, he's such like a fluid player. He's such a field player. That's a good point. Um, I think Fed plays with less margin. Um, Nadal's coming over the net pretty high, pretty deep in yeah. the court. Lots of spin, mm-hmm. lots of margin for error, spin to win. And and Fed's trying to kind of slap some winners here and there and hit some some touch. I mean, he he plays a couple cheek, a couple cheeky volleys. Definitely a couple <laughs> cheeky volleys where he. I think he he needs a lot of cheeky volleys. He, uh, Real quick on on cheeky volleys. So to give you an example of how much he's been coming to net. On clay, first match, um, 25 for 30. Second match, 23-31. Third round, 21-27. Fourth round, 19 for 27. And against Stan, the most recent match, 41 for 60. Whoa. Yeah, he is, his, his net play was incredible against Stan. Unbelievable. Yeah. Cheeky volley, relentless. <laughs> That's And but the, 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 the ultimate the, cheeky volley is when he's been lasering forehand winners. Oh yeah, and, and he just pulls the racket up like he's gonna hit a little drop shot, and then he just cheekies it to the back of the baseline. <laughs> so can we? So all right, first I want to ask a question about Fed's forehand, but to somewhat conclude the first part of this match preview, I do think Fed has a chance to pull this off. All right. So so the betting market. If he if he ever had a chance on clay, it's now. Even at yeah. thirty seven, yeah. it's now. I, I really think think he has a better chance now than he did in two thousand eleven. Hundred percent. That so that, the bet- that, that end code racket was a disaster for clay. <laughs> <laughs> Complete disaster. It's so bad. So I think he can pull it off. Let's see what happens. But Asher, give us the uh, what what Vegas is is chirping about. So, so I think the odds for Federer are, are eight to one, which is pretty high. Considering it's, it's the greatest yeah. tennis player of all time, pretty hard. So you so that, put down so that, 100 that, that, bucks, you could win 800. Yeah. The safest so, bet is Nadal in four. That's a that's a safe. Yeah, I think the statistics would bet. tell you that's what's going to happen. Straight? I think Nadal in three. <laughs> oh, 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 all right. Uh, the the cardio meister was was pretty optimistic about Nadal in three as well. So the, so eight to one basically means like I think twelve and a half percent, like yeah. that Federer is going to win. So do you guys you guys think it's it's above twelve and a half? I think you guys would say like he's going to win this match maybe one in four, one in five times. I'd say one in five, one in four. I mean I want to say fifty, but <laughs> um, <laughs> I I I think um, I would say twenty five. Yeah, I'd say I want it to happen so bad. Um, you know but... what? You never know. Put it in a cheeky 38%. I'm gonna, <laughs> you never know. It's going to rain, right? It's going to rain. It's going to rain. <laughs> um, all right. Can we talk about Fed's forehand on the clay and how it is a different shot, the way he cocks the racket back and gets under the ball? Yeah, yeah. I think, I think you mentioned this the other day. Yeah, so, well, just ever since he switched the bigger racket, his forehand has changed the way he takes the racket back. I mean, I do think it's become... A little more of Eastern shot. He's, I mean, even with a pure Eastern grip, which he doesn't have, he still comes under the ball with this wrist in a way where it's more of a semi-Western shot. But mm-hmm. ever since he started using this racket, if you look at old videos of his forehand, slow motion or regular speed, the way he takes the racket back and actually cocks it and drops the racket head, completely different. But on clay, it looks like the old early 2000s Fed forehand. Mm-hmm. I honestly think it's more fun to watch than on a hard court. He's been ripping. Yeah, it. I think I think 
I think the old, uh, I think the best Federer forehand was the the encode, was when he had the, the ninety square inch on the on yeah. the hard courts. He was just he like ripped the ball. He was just firing lasers from everywhere. But One then more. when he went to the the BLX, he had a lot of problems. Yeah, that was that was a sketch racket, so sketch. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. One thing I think we need we need to talk about though before we conclude this is that yes, Nadal. King of Clay, unreal, truly on another level, 13-2, and two, won the French Open um, 11 times. Is he in his best form this year? I know he won Rome, but look what happened to Monte Carlo, Madrid, mm. Barcelona. Hasn't dro- he's he's been- dropped one set here, but has he really been challenged? It's kind of, kind of a, a, weird, a weird year for him because he, he played incredible in the Australian Open until the final. And then he started having these injury injury problems, I think. And then he had an awful spring, like yeah. awful. I I I don't remember when was the last time he only won one tournament, one one of the the clay court warm ups. Like he didn't win Monte Carlo or Barcelona, which he wins like every year. Yeah. Uh, he beat he 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 did beat beat Novak in three sets um, in Rome. Novak so. was gassed though. Yeah, he was gassed. But Novak Nadal, was gassed. It, it did it did seem like he he had a point to prove in Rome. Like he was rounding himself into form nicely. I think his form has continued. I, I don't think he's at his best. He isn't. He isn't playing at the level he was like the last two years. Um, but I still think but, he's 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 favored for the tournament. So okay. So this is this is where I think it's interesting. Someone like him, despite his clay court expertise, when he hasn't had his best form going to the tournament, and we know he's someone that historically plays his way into form. Yeah. Yes, he won Rome. He's played his way into his form. He seems to be top now. Uh, in top, you know, top form now at least in terms of winning sets, does the downside of having maybe a poor start to the clay season, does that show up playing someone like Federer? Or or is his you know ridiculous record against him on clay just going to overcome any, any shortcoming that he might have in terms of form? Yeah, tomorrow? no, that's, that's, a, that's a really good question. Uh, I think if, if you look at Nadal's sort of mentality that he's had throughout his career... He's uh, he's very different to Federer. Like Federer is always like very confident, sort of always believes that he's uh, he's going to play his best and just like just win playing his best tennis. Nadal often he sort of gets down on himself. Um, you'll see him often start matches like super sketchy, mm-hmm. like he'll just like get super nervous and just start spinning forehands into the net. Yeah. Uh, but then he always he always kind of backs himself to find a solution. Like Federer just backs himself to just beat the other guy playing like flawless tennis. Um, Nadal, meanwhile, just thinks that he's uh, he's gonna he's gonna run for every ball. He's gonna like if there's a tactical solution, he's gonna find it, or he might get some help from uh, <laughs> his uncle. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I I do, I do see a scenario, especially considering how his early season form has has gone, like in which he just comes out of the match. It's it's pretty. It's gonna be pretty cold. He's gonna be down on himself. Uh, maybe makes a few errors early. Um, so Federer could take the first set, um, how he reacts to that. Cause in, in the past, like it hasn't been a problem him dropping the first set against Federer. Right. Um, but in the past, like Nadal's always had the great clay court season behind him. Yeah. Agreed. But th- this, this time sort of, he might, he might not have the same confidence in himself, uh, after dropping a first set. No, I think it's, I think it's really well said. And two, two, two quick points for me. And, and, and again, that's why I, th- I do think that Fed will win the first set. Um, I, I think his approach where coming to the net, changing the pace, giving different spins, stepping inside, um, inside the baseline, I think could throw it all off a little bit. Um, what do you think about, um, 
their matches coming into this. So Nadal beat down a wounded and injured Nisha mm-hmm. Corey. Uh, right, so so- I think it was like one, one and three and fed had a, t- a tight four setter against Warenka. So one thing I've noticed this year, Nadal, um, in Monte Carlo before he lost to Faganini, but more specifically in Rome, I don't know if Asher, Brett, you guys have picked up on this, but he's playing closer to the baseline during mm-hmm. the points. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I do think he's shortening up the points. I don't know if it's because he's getting older and the knees, it's be a little more efficient. Don't drag the matches out. Not that he drags matches out, but he can drag points out and always, you know, I mean, any, any, any rally he will, he'll win, you know? Yeah. I think, I think, uh, I think he's, you know, what we saw in Australia, banging the first serve, banging the first ball, looking to end points. I think that's moving. He's applying the same approach to clay as well. Um, yeah, he's, he's kind of been, um, a bit, a bit sort of all over the place. I think in Rome, he was, he was playing a lot like that against, against Novak, especially there are a lot of points in which he was just uh, pushing Novak back by taking so early. In this tournament, uh, a lot of the commentators have actually mentioned that he's standing surprisingly far, far back, um, considering how he's played most of the year, standing mm-hmm. close to the baseline. I guess against the weaker players, I mean, he just needs to stand like 20 feet behind the baseline and just hit cross court forehand, and he's just going to win like pretty easily. Definitely return of serve. I've never seen him. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it started in the final t- 2017 against Anderson. Mm. And- I know. I almost think since that final, Nadal return serve is just as far back as he can get. Yeah, yeah I think. But I think. I think that if uh, I don't think he'll continue doing that against Federer. But if he does, it'll play into Federer's hands because Federer will want to serve and volley as much as possible, and it's right. just so much harder for Nadal to get it, get it quickly to Federer's, um, get it quickly to Federer when he's coming to the net and get it low. Speaking yeah. of the and- Fed serve, since the fifth set of Australian Open final 2017, Fed has held 31 straight service games. Probably against Rafa. Against Rafa. Probably wow. not. I, I don't know. I don't think that's going to translate as strongly to Clay. Because mm-hmm. um, those were all hardcore matches. But, um, all right, Brett, sorry. You were saying something and then. I, I also think, I mean, this is the first time. At- a lot of the matches that Fed lost on the clay, 13 losses and two wins. Um, Nadal was younger. He was faster, stronger, could move around the court, track down these balls that no one had any business tracking down. Now it's a little different story. Nadal's had some issues with the knees. He got absolutely beat down in the finals, Australian Open, because he, he just didn't have anything in the tank. Um, so... I think this is the first match where he's actually like about the same age or at least in the same age bracket as Federer. Yeah. Now, now they're in their thirties. So I'm taking fed in four. Oh, wow. oh <laughs> I'm putting a hundred pounds. Let's go. Let's go, mate. Um, all right. And you know, the winner of this match is becomes number two in the world on Monday. Ooh. Should we have a quick, uh, quick one minute about? Well, I just want to say that um, I think Federer is going to lose easily, but oh, I, I'm just, I'm just super excited to see him play uh, Nadal with like a clear mind, uh, a oh, bigger yeah. racket, um, super aggressive style. I'm just excited and to watch this. You know, I, I feel like because a little bit with Nadal, because you never know with his health, with his knees, more so with Federer because he is 37. Um, you know, just you never really know when he's going to retire. I'm especially hyped about this match because who knows? This could be the last time they play. Yeah. And a Grand Slam this deep, th- th- this could be the last one. So on, on that note, I mean, tomorrow 
I'm not an early riser. Uh, <laughs> for me, I'm getting up at 6.30, making myself a little... Uh, Brad, I'm calling you at 6.30. Little uh, iced espresso uh, latte, whatever you want to call it. And uh, I'm going to sit down and watch. Asher, what time will that be for you? Or you're... Uh, I'm, tr- I'm trying to get to the game. Um, you're going. <laughs> so, real quick, we got to wrap up here, but Asher, legend, been refreshing all day with the cheeky <laughs> F5. Um... <laughs> He has a ticket for... Yeah, the, I'm, going, I'm, I'm going to see Dominic Team versus uh, Novak. We, we we might spend one minute just talking <laughs> about those two forgotten, forgotten yeah, guys. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's one guy who might no, be the best of all time, one guy who's isn't, like... Isn't Nadal Federer the final, though? The, the, what, the what? Isn't Nadal Federer the final? Effectively the final. Yeah, it's, it's the final. final. It's effectively the final. Yeah. Um, so hopefully hopefully that match isn't rained out and Asher can actually watch the match and we'll do a live episode from Paris. Um, after parties at Daliak's house, Djokovic has confirmed he's down. Um, <laughs> um, all right, think, so real quick. Gasquet, Gasquet, Gasquet is going to be there. <laughs> yeah, Gasquet is <laughs> um, All right, real quick. So what are we, what are we thinking, Djokovic team? I mean, this this has some crazy crazy potential. They just played a a great match in Madrid, which is seven six seven six. If there's enough For light, I think Joker? it could go it could go five sets. Um, I think Novak's slight favorite, maybe sixty percent. But team is so good; he's so good on clay. Yeah. This is one of those matches where I I, I just can't imagine there being. It, it's ridiculous to think that there has to be a winner. Both of these guys are going. I, I do think Team was in better form last year. This time last year, he's still playing sick. This tournament, I do think he was a little better. Um, maybe last year, winning a little more free points. Um, Joker is looking just unreal. Playing some serious go tennis. We've been saying this for what since he won Wimbledon. That yeah, you know the the. Does he win all four in one year? He's looking unstoppable. Absolutely unreal. No, I mean, really, honestly, it wasn't even... After five all, after Zverev, you know, blew it when he was serving for the set, the match wasn't competitive at all. No. It wasn't competitive at all. I think, I mean... Straightforward Joker. What do you guys think about this? Do you think team... And Joker, if they were playing either of them, if they were playing against Feder Nadal, I would take Team or Joker. Yeah, I would. Those I would are the Feder too. Uh, I, I think Nadal against Team. Okay. Team's ability to just bully himself into matches by just hitting big inside of forehands is unreal. It's yeah, crazy it's to watch. Also, Alex said a good point. I spoke to him earlier. Um, yeah, shout out to Al. He's shout out to Al. Oh, we didn't say. So Alex is no longer on the podcast. And one of the reasons why it took us so long to record the podcast is that after Australian Open, he basically told us that he was a Roundish fan. Oh, and that was, I think that, I think that, that, that hit us all hard. Um, and then he bought a pure drive. He, he bought the pure drive, which is a great racket, but he's a Roundish fan. So we had, uh, we had to take a break. Um, but no, actually, you know, Alex is teaching tennis right now, so he can make it. But I spoke to him earlier. He had a good point that Djokovic in his prime is probably the only player that could beat Federer and Nadal consistently straight sets. Yeah. He, yeah, he, his game is very dynamic in, in who he can beat because Federer is hitting these laser shots, hitting these awesome place serves. Nadal is playing amazing spin. Mm-hmm. They're, they're both 
kind of farther ends of the spectrum. Djokovic is a nice kind of middle middle ground for that. So he he's designed to beat everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Except except uh, our boy uh, Stan. Oh yeah, <laughs> Stan the man. And uh, Daniil Medvedev. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The Neil Medvedev, third best player of all time. He's going to be in the next GOAT podcast for sure. <laughs> um, in, although, quick, actually, quick tangent. Medvedev does feel, I read, uh, heard an interview today, he does think the Fed has two slams left in him. Whoa. Wow. Um, I, I like his chances for Wimbledon. Yeah, I like how yeah, yeah, yeah definitely, definitely. Um, I, was, I was talking to Tommy Haas earlier. Tommy, and he was saying that that he thinks Fed actually is the favorite tomorrow. Tommy, wow. Tommy's pretty active in our WhatsApp group, but he doesn't realize that we're in uh, different time zones. So, yeah. our time three a.m. Tommy likes to send videos of his one hander, <laughs> reliving reliving the old days um, with the old Dunlop. Real quick, something I, I want to mention as a, a, a classic cheeky volley technical comment. Jim Courier, 2017, even when Dimitrov was playing well and he won Cincinnati and he won World Tour Finals, you know what he said? He said if he didn't fix the ball toss on his second serve, he would fall out of the top 20. Wow. What a statement. How good is that take? That, that's what Cheeky Volley aspires to Yeah, be. that's a cheeky comment. How good is that? So anyway, we, we could do another podcast dedicated to Grigor. There's a wealth of information to talk about. Where, yeah, where I is think, that? I think our friend, our friend Chris from Bulgaria, who's uh, who's who's played with him at Sanchez Casal Academy. I think he wants to come in give his yeah, uh, yeah. Grigor takes. That that that's a two hour special with Chris. We'll do a two part <laughs> two part episode. I almost put some uh, some coin down on uh, Dimitrov versus Walrenka just because. I I still want Dimitrov to be who he's supposed to be, but he's he's never gonna he's never gonna do that. Asher, how much have you placed on this match? Uh, I haven't placed anything. Oh. But if I w- if I was gonna place, I would, I would place on Nadal, even at Federer at like <laughs> eight to one. <laughs> All right, but yeah. All right, that concludes it. Cheeky volley. I'm pretty sure this is episode thirteen, French Open. Mainly Fed Nadal, uh, Federer Nadal preview, a little bit of Joker team. I think we probably, our gut says Joker will win that, although Asher says team. That's, that's a strong take. It's highly likely. Asher will report back from Paris. Yeah. <laughs> Asher, maybe go to uh, my son Kitsune while you're in Paris as well. <laughs> Get some gear. Yeah, get some gear. Oh, we, we forgot to mention how bad uh, Federer's outfit was. Oh, this is true. The, tournament. the brown, long. I think his I think his worst outfit ever. Can you can you remember him in a in a worse outfit? It, yeah, it's 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 not it's great. Like it's, it's like he's from like the eighties, and he should be ha- he should have a mustache, and his name <laughs> should be Jim. Like it, it fits kind of slouchy. Yeah, it's, it's slim slouch fit, but the um. The sleeves are mad long. Yeah. And the, and the stripes, the stripes as well. Brown. Brown. A yeah. brown shirt. Not Bro, great. If, if, he, if he wins, if he wins, then like maybe, maybe we should all start wearing terrible outfits. Yeah. <laughs> oh. But all right. Cheeky Volley. That's it. Thanks for our sponsors. Lufthansa. If you've got any um, European summer, uh, summer <laughs> trips coming up, let us know. Lufthansa's got the hookup. And also Eurostar. If you're in London tomorrow, you take the Eurostar. Um, cheeky volley, you get a discount rate. So, yeah, and enter code cheeky 
Alright, Nate. Alright. We're out. Pro Nate. Nate. <laughs>